the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. 602-508-0960. I am Seth Leibson, and I see that uh, President Biden announced today he's going to um, be lifting the uh, COVID um, 19 emergency declarations uh, on May 11th, 5-11 of this year. Uh, that's that's an interesting following of the science, isn't it? Uh, projecting out three months in advance, um, more than three months out in advance. I, I, I suppose there's nothing holding him to it. Um, he could easily turn and I could easily see him turning and saying, well, we're not out of the woods yet. I had hoped we would be by now, but not enough people have complied with the boosters and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then, of course, it might have something to do with the border. It might have something to do with his student loan program. But uh, it's hard for me to understand how you're following the science when you're projecting out what you're going to do as the national response three and a half months in advance. But Forgive me for thinking politics might be involved here. This takes uh, this announcement takes place today um, as the House of Representatives uh, is rolling up its sleeves to commence hearings, uh, not only on the national emergency status and try to um, try to end it earlier, um, but also on all things having to do with the CDC, all things having to do with Anthony Fauci, all things having to do with everything that was related to uh, the shutdowns related to the virus in the name of uh, coronavirus. Uh, today was a big day of uh, different announcements from the House on that and pushback from uh, Democratic uh, co- congressmen and women. Uh, congressmen and women in the Democratic Party are saying that uh, this is paranoia, this is fear-mongering, um, and making sure we all understand everything that the government did. Ayanna Presley tweeted, Our COVID response worked. Vaccines work. Congress, the Republican majority, is fear-mongering and acting out of paranoia. Well, you know, what's the matter with just letting letting a a little sunlight on this? If there is something to be disinfected, are the House Democrats really going to be the last people to turn out the lights and thinking that everything was done just fine and dandy, especially with the revelations that we saw from the Twitter files, the Musk files, from Taibbi and Schellenberger and Weiss and others. Newsweek uh, op-ed today from uh, one Kevin Bass. Boy, this looks like a smart cookie. MSMD, PhD student. We were making fun of, uh, not making fun, we were exposing earlier the point that if someone's only doctorate is a PhD and they insist on calling you doctor, um, it's usually a case of um, of an ego that's a little a little bigger than than the than the deserved doctorate. We were talking about it in regard to Doctor Jill Biden. Uh, Sam Stone was mentioning the other day he's never met a PhD who insisted on being called doctor that deserved to be called doctor that wouldn't let you down. 
it's such a misperception, by the way. Do you remember during the campaign? Gosh, I just I couldn't couldn't get this thought out of my head as I was saying that. Do you remember during the campaign, Bill, that um, the ladies on The View, Joy Behar, was, uh, you know, was um, so antagonistic toward, uh, towards Donald Trump and his team and impatient with the Surgeon General? She said, well, Dr. Jill Biden, she'd be a great Surgeon General. I hear she's a very good doctor. That's an exact quote. That's exactly what Joe uh, Joy Bahar said, I promise you, go go check it out if you distrust me. I, I will never forget it. That last part, I hear she's a very good doctor because that was a lie. That was a lie. And I forget who it was. I think it was actually Sonny Hoiston who had to tell her her doctorate is a Ph.D. It's not even a Ph.D. It's not even. It's an EDD, which is known um, as even less rigorous than an MBA, especially uh, when we got to see Jill Biden's Dr. Jill Biden's thesis. But and she said, I hear she's a very good doctor. No one said she's a very good doctor because no one has seen her as a patient. And if they did, they were lying. Anyway, Joy Bahar was lying. Big, uh, big surprise. Anyway, this guy seems like a pretty good credentialing. Uh, MSMD, PhD, Kevin Bass in Newsweek. He writes, as a medical student and researcher, I staunchly supported the efforts of the public health authorities when it came to COVID-19. I believed that the authorities responded to the largest public health crisis of our lives with compassion diligence, and scientific expertise. I was with them when they called for lockdowns. I was with them when they called for vaccines. I was with them when they called for boosters. I was wrong. We in the scientific community were wrong. And it cost lives. I can see now that the scientific community from the CDC to the WHO to the FDA and their representatives repeatedly overstated the evidence and misled the public about its own views and policies, including including on natural versus artificial immunity, school closures and disease transmission, aerosol spread, mask mandates and vaccine effectiveness and safety, especially among the young. All of these were scientific mistakes at the time, not in hindsight. It's an important point. Amazingly, some of these obfuscations continue to the present day, but perhaps more important than any individual error was how inherently flawed the overall approach of the scientific community was and continues to be. It was flawed in a way that undermined its efficacy and resulted in thousands, if not millions, of preventable deaths. It's a hell of a sentence to write. What we did not properly appreciate is that preferences determine how scientific expertise is used and that our preferences might be, indeed our preferences were, very different from many of the people that we serve. We created policy based on our preferences, then justified it using data. And then we portrayed those opposing our efforts as misguided, ignorant, selfish, and evil. We made science a team sport, and in so doing, we made it no longer science. It became us versus them, and they responded the only way anyone might expect them to do, by resisting. We excluded important parts of the population from policy development and castigated critics, which meant that we deployed a monolithic response across an exceptionally diverse nation, forged a society more fractured than ever, and exacerbated long-standing health and economic disparities. 
Our emotional response and ingrained partisanship prevented us from seeing the full impact of our actions on the people we were supposed to serve. We systematically minimized the downsides of the interventions we imposed, imposed without the input, consent, and recognition of those forced to live with them. In so doing, we violated the autonomy of those who would be most negatively affected, impacted by our policies, the poor, the working class, small business owners, blacks, Latinos, and children. These populations were overlooked because they were made invisible to us by their systematic exclusion from the dominant, corporatized medium machine that presumed omniscience. Most of us did not speak up in support of alternative views, and many of us tried to suppress them. When strong, strong scientific voices like world-renowned Stanford professors John Ioannidis, Jay Bhattacharya, and Scott Atlas, or University of California San Francisco professor Vinay Prasad and Monica Gandhi sounded the alarm on behalf of vulnerable communities, they faced severe censure by relentless mobs of critics and detractors in the scientific community often not on the basis of fact, but solely on the basis of differences in scientific opinion. When former President Trump appointed, excuse me, when former President Trump pointed out the downsides of intervention, he was dismissed as a buffoon. And when Dr. Anthony Fauci opposed Trump and became the hero of the public health community, we gave him our support to do and say what he wanted, even when he was wrong. Trump was not remotely perfect, nor were the academic critics of consensus policy, but the scorn that we laid on them was a disaster for public trust in the pandemic response. Our approach alienated large segments of the population from what should have been a national and collaborative project, and we paid the price. The rage of those marginalized by the expert class exploded onto and dominated social media, Lacking the scientific lexicon to express their disagreement, many dissidents turned to conspiracy theories and a cottage industry of scientific contortions to make their case against the expert class consensus that dominated the pandemic mainstream. Labeling this, mis this speech as misinformation and blaming it on scientific illiteracy and ignorance, the government conspired with big tech to aggressively suppress it, erasing the valid political concerns of the government's opponents. And this, despite the fact that pandemic policy was created by a razor-thin sliver of American society who anointed themselves to preside over the working class. More to say about this very well written when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'm reading this piece by uh, Kevin Bass at Newsweek. It's just, it's just really well written. He's someone that was uh, on the side of what we derisively, though earnedly, deservedly, derisively but deservedly called Team Fear during the COVID pandemic. He was on the side of everything that is represented by, I guess you could say, Fauciism and uh, thought we were all um, idiots, yahoos, and unscientific and not following the science and endangering fellow Americans, MD, PhD, Kevin Bass. And um, let me finish it. I don't often read entire articles, but this it's not that much longer and it's it's just that good. And this he writes, this was all despite he's now confessing he was wrong. And he was talking about all the lockdowns, shutdowns and derision heaped on people like us. He writes, this despite the fact that pandemic policy was created by a razor-thin sliver of American society who anointed themselves to, pro 
to preside over the working class. Members of academia, government, medicine, journalism, tech, and public health who are highly educated and privileged. From the comfort of their privilege, this elite prizes paternalism as opposed to average Americans who laud self-reliance and whose daily lives routinely demand that they reckon with risk. That many of our leaders neglected to consider the lived experiences of those across the class divide is unconscionable. Incomprehensible to us due to this class divide, we severely judged lockdown critics as lazy, backwards, and evil. We dismissed as grifters those who represented their interests. We believed misinformation energized the ignorant. We refused to accept that such people simply had a different, valid, his emphasis, point of view. We crafted policy for the people without consulting them. If our public health officials had led with less hubris, the course of the pandemic in the United States might have had a very different outcome with far fewer lost lives. Instead, we have witnessed a massive and ongoing loss of life in America due to distrust of vaccines in the healthcare system, a massive concentration in wealthy, excuse me, a massive concentration in wealth by already wealthy elites, a rise in suicides and gun violence, especially among the poor, a near doubling of the rate of depression and anxiety disorders among the young. I'll repeat that, a near doubling of the rate of depression and anxiety disorders, especially among the young a catastrophic loss of educational attainment among already disadvantaged children and among those most vulnerable, a massive loss of trust in healthcare, science, scientific authorities, and political leaders more broadly. What about the friendships and family ties and relationships that were torn asunder? We could throw that in there, too. My motivation for writing this is simple, he writes. It's clear to me that for public trust to be restored in science, scientists should publicly discuss what went right and what went wrong during the pandemic and where we could have done better. It's okay to be wrong and admit where one was wrong and what one learned. That's a central part of the way science works. Yet I fear that many are too entrenched in groupthink and too afraid to publicly take responsibility to do this. Solving these problems in the long term requires a greater commitment to pluralism and tolerance in our institutions, including the inclusion of critical, if unpopular, voices. Intellectual elitism, credentialism, and classism must end, restoring trust in public health and our democracy depends on it. Well done, Newsweek. Well done, Kevin Bass. Maybe some will do that. Uh, uh, the, the physician who used to be on CNN, and I guess still is, and writes for the Washington Post, professor of medicine at Georgetown, former head of Planned Parenthood, when Dr. Wen, she has done this. She has confessed and said she was wrong. Too few others have. Anthony Fauci won't. A couple weeks ago, three weeks or four weeks ago, when he was doing his retirement interviews, and people, I remember specifically one in particular, on the Neil Cavuto show was showing him clips of going back and forth with um, going back and forth with uh, Rand Paul uh, calling him a liar. Anthony Fauci said not only under oath, but then on these interviews, I have never lied. I've never lied. I've never lied. He said it again and again and again. And I just wish that I just wish the journalists were a little better. He had already admitted in the New York Times that he had lied at least once, maybe at least twice in the very first year. One on what it would take to obtain herd immunity, he admitted to lying about. And then he never called it a lie, but he admitted that he wasn't giving his real opinion on why he early on said, we don't need masks, they won't protect you. He changed the rationale for that. 
and of course changed his position on it as well. So I don't expect any mea culpas to be coming uh, from him, but uh, a few others have. A few others have, and good for them for doing that. God love them for doing it. That was, you know, I'll accept it. I, I truly will. I'm not going to give an amnesty, uh, as as some have asked for, as the Atlantic Magazine has asked for. Amnesty is too kind. It is a complete forgiveness. Um, we will give forgiveness uh, once you confess the sin. That's my position, or the crime. I think it takes a change of heart and attitude, and not just a, oh, well, let's move on. How many children, how many children, how many adults lost relationships over this stuff. It's really it's really quite amazing. And now it, even a new study just came out. I'm pulling it up here. came across the transom uh, on, uh, on teens and youth and mental health uh, deficits as a result. Not educational deficits, but mental health deficits, deficits as a result of, um, as a result of the lockdowns and the shutdowns and the school closings. And the church closings and the recreational closings, kids need that stuff. Kids need that stuff. They never should have censored us on this. They never should have shamed us on this. We who warned against a bigger and worse next pandemic were right the whole time. And kids were never seriously at risk. Teachers unions ought to be called in. Randy Weingarten ought to be called in, the head of the teacher's Union at L.A. Unified ought to be called in by the House of Representatives and Jim Jordan. By the way, did you see Jim Jordan on uh, Meet the Press with Chuck Todd over the weekend? Great illustration. I don't think I have time to play the audio right now, but you guys can access it any way you want online. Great illustration, you know, Bill, of the point we often make. If you're going to go on one of those antagonistic shows, people often will do this with – well, they used to do it a ton with with um, John Stewart, and now they sometimes make the error and do it with Bill Maher. If you're going to go on to an antagonistic show, Chuck Todd's a, is no different. Um, bring your goods. Make sure you have your case airtight. Make sure you are articulate. Make sure you are unflappable. Make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure you know you are not going up against one person you think you may be brighter than, but one person who has an audience on their side and 25 research assistants and eight producers who have prepped them. Make sure. Anyway, my point, Jim Jordan did. He did. He stood up to Chuck Todd. Boy, what a fall for Jim. Is any journalist ever going to say, look at what you've done with Tim Russert's show? Tim Russert was not like this man. He was he was hard and he tilted Democrat. No question. And he worked for Democrats. No question. But, you know, he could he could give a fair interview. And Chuck Todd took that show and just never will. Okay. Uh, anyway, good for Jim Jordan. So excited he is where he is. Be right back. You've probably been hearing me talk about why refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about how great they are, feel free to give them a call at 888-YREFI34, and they can put you in touch with a lot of satisfied customers from the area who are happily investing and seeing great returns with them. Think about your IRA. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market market or Joe Biden's economy? Did you know you could invest with why refi through an IRA or other qualified fund? 
and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. I was talking with um, J.D. earlier in the uh, last hour about uh, retirement accounts and ESG and how you have to um, now make a probably definitive choice uh, if your retirement account through your work, your employer, your 401k, if you do the default to make sure it's not going into an ESG fund. You know where you don't have a choice? If you work for the city of New York. It's Fox News story. Mayor Eric Adams, New York City, forced all of its employees into a radical critical race theory training, according to a copy of the training review. The mandatory training was sent to all New York City employees with a March 6 deadline. Quote, the training provides all New York City employees with a framework to understand the importance of racial equity in the workplace, close quote. The controversial lens expressed in the training is called critical race theory, which holds that America is and always was structurally racist. CRT adds that the U.S. was designed from its start to systematically oppress minority groups in order to uphold systems of power for the dominant culture or white racial group. Now, I could go on about how terrible this plan uh, or this training is, I should say. But what's interesting is um, it's almost as if, well, it's not. I mean, this would be sarcastic, but I'll do it anyway. It's almost as if the mayor of New York City hasn't read the New York Times You may recall about 10 days ago, a major piece in the New York Times dated January 17th. What if diversity training is doing more harm than good? And from the article, it says, and I'm quoting, I pulled it back up, quote, over the years, social scientists who have conducted careful reviews of the evidence base for diversity training have frequently come to discouraging conclusions. Though diversity training workshops have been around in one form or another since at least the 1960s, few of them are ever subjected to rigorous evaluation, and those that are mo- and those that are mostly appear to have little or no positive long-term effects. The lack of evidence is disappointing, wrote Elizabeth Levi Palak of Princeton and her co-authors in a 2021 annual review of psychology article. Considering the frequency with which calls for diversity training emerge in the wake of widely publicized incidents, incidents of discriminatory contact, conduct, they have no effect. They found two large exper- in two large experimental studies uh, over the last decade, they attempted to evaluate the effects of diversity training and meet basic quality benchmarks. They couldn't. If diversity training has no impact whatsoever, that would mean that the billions of dollars are being wasted annually in the United States on these efforts. But there's a darker possibility. Some diversity initiatives, the story says, might actually worsen the diversity, equity, and inclusion climates of the organizations that pay for them. Big surprise that. You breed resentment, you might just get resentment. You get what you breed and you get what you teach. And they're teaching racialization and they're teaching race resentment and they're getting more and more of it. This was in the New York Times. And, um, well, it's having no effect on city employees in New York. Just as I guess resistance to boosters and vaccines is having no, finding no succor with the governor of New York. You still have to do all that if you want to maintain 
your job with the state of New York. State of New York, which everyone was bragging about because it was led by a Democrat and the rest of the country and the White House was led by a Republican. And um, turns out New York did. um, Well, let's just say they chose poorly, if I can quote from Indiana Jones. Uh, Let me put in a word for our good friends at the Midas Gold Group. A recession is falling stock markets, a drop in income and consumer spending, a rise in unemployment and increased business failures. And Joe Biden won't admit it. He'll redefine it. Stock market falling with economists predicting more falls, income declining last year because of inflation, real estate values dropping, declarations of bankruptcy and major companies laying off people in the thousands. We are in a recession and it's likely going to get worse, which is why I recommend calling our friends at the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your money with the stability of gold. Gold holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the ravages of inflation and the ruin of recession. Get your hedge against all this by talking with the good folks at Midas Gold Group. Trust the precious metals dealer Seb Gorka. I and thousands of you already do. MidasGoldGroup.com or give them a call at 480-360-3000. Well, welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. There is going to be a fascinating and interesting and enriching event um, Wednesday, February 8th at ASU at the Gamage Auditorium. It's uh, sponsored by the T.W. Lewis Center for Personal Development at ASU, Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Many of you obviously know who Dennis Prager is. He's going to be a featured speaker, as is my next guest. Many of you know him uh, from a lot of venues, uh, whether it's on television, other radio, or uh or his books, and that is Robert Kiyosaki. He is the author of numerous best-selling books, including Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the number one personal finance book of all time. He is an investor. He is an educator. He is an entrepreneur. Mr. Kiyosaki, thanks for joining us and talking to us about this event. Oh, no, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. You betcha. I have uh, read some of your works. Before we get to the event, i got to ask you if it's okay, point of personal privilege. If I read right, correct me if I'm wrong, you were uh, somewhat mentored or a mentee of uh, Buckminster Fuller, which I found fascinating, someone I have admired my whole life. Do I have that right? Oh, my God. He was my teacher. There you go. There you go. I mean... He changed my life from a greedy capitalist to a more generous capitalist. Is that right? Is that, give us give us one he, lesson you learned from him. You could probably do a million, but give us one. I've just always loved that man's energy way into his late ages. Well, he talked about generalized principles, and these are the principles of universe or God, whatever you call it. And they're always true no matter what. And there was about 250 generalized principles, and I'll give you one of them. Okay. One that kind of changed my life was the more, it's not how much money I make. It's his principle was the more people I serve, yeah. the more effective I become. Do you and be- so instead of, yeah, go ahead. Instead of focusing on making money, I said I better start serving people. And that's when I wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah, that's, um, that's kind of in sync with the, um, with the event you're doing with Dennis Prager, Health, Wealth, and Happiness. And I wonder if you believe or if he believed that 
if you work hard generally in this country and uh, try and serve other people, but keep your nose clean and work hard, you can succeed in this country. This is a country that rewards working hard and keeping your nose clean and doing the right thing, but also wants to see you serving other people. I, I would like to think so. and the, But the problem is the world is in massive, it's actually financial turmoil. <clears throat> so, the, you know, look at the stock markets and the real estate markets and all this. And the reason I wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad is we have no financial education in school. Right. So I'll be at, I'll be at Gamage with Dennis Prager and my cardiologist, Dr. Radical Pollan. And the subjects we don't teach us grow our health, wealth, and happiness. Yeah. I'll be speaking on the wealth side. Talk to me a little bit about the confluence of health, wealth, and happiness. You know, this is a country that it, 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 we talk an awful lot about public health, but you know, we also seem to be going through a period of time where we're looking at a lot of unhealthy behaviors. When we're at our most advanced point, right? I mean, we have more wealth really as a society, more technology ever as a society. And yet we're seeing education scores go down. We're seeing drug use go up. We're seeing obesity rates go up. And we're seeing, you know, longevity, life expectancy go down. It's a weird moment, isn't it? Yes. You add to that, uh, you know, the pandemic and these vaccines and the controversy that's causing. Yeah. Yeah. So health is very much on the forefront. And I've had I've had COVID and Dr. Kopalan, who's speaking on health, was the guy that cured me. Oh, good. Okay. So, All right. Dennis Prager yes, cured us on our political science and the body politic, and Dr. Gopalan uh, cured us on the body politic, I suppose. Correct. <laughs> the human and Dennis body Dennis Prager politic. talks about happiness. Yeah. And Dennis Prager helped me a lot with happiness. And he talks about from the Bible, you know, from I think it's Deuteronomy, excuse me, it's wrong. But God commands us to be happy. But if you're not happy, your health goes down. Interesting, huh? Yeah, there's a tremendous connection between happiness and health, obviously mental yeah. health, but also physical as well. And yeah. and the importance of building wealth, if you can, as you can, which is your expertise, you know, um, not only to enrich yourselves and take care of your family and friends and community, obviously, but to help other people along the way also reach that level of independence you know a society as i opened up can maybe help you advance if you keep your nose clean work hard and give back but it can also do the opposite you know the politics of our economics matters too it is harder now than it used to be well look at the you know microsoft let go of ten thousand yep Uh, alphabet let go eleven thousand tesla let go so we're in a very tumultuous time economically, which affects our health, wealth, and happiness. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, but, I'm, I'm talking to Robert Kiyosaki. He is obviously the author of the book many of you already know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He'll be speaking with Dennis Prager and uh, Dr. Gopalan uh, February 8th. It will be at the Gamage Center at ASU. You can get tickets at Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster, just go to Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Mr. Kawasaki, I'm sorry, I was I was just putting in a plug for the event, but go ahead and and say what you what you would like to about the, the the how the policies matter as well. I mean, we can either have policies that encourage building wealth, or we can have policies that engender more poverty. Right? 
Well, my concern is the gap between rich and poor is too wide today. Okay. And that's not healthy. And you look at, maybe it's not so much in Arizona, but I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia. You should see the homelessness up here. Yeah. And in Seattle, homelessness. And these aren't, you know, they say, well, they're drug dealers and they're whatever they are. But a lot of today's homeless are working poor. And they don't make enough money to put a roof over their heads. So that's why I wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, as Bucky Fuller said, you know, serve people. So what did we teach kids about money at school? Nothing. And so I'll be speaking on wealth. Good which is a little bit different than getting rich. Yes. But no, it is. There's, and there's different kinds of wealth, too, right? There's uh, there's obviously moral poverty, but there's also moral wealth, right? Well, wealth is actually measured in, this is what Fuller taught me, Bucky. Wealth is measured in time. Okay. So if you stop working today, the question is, how long could you survive? Yeah. And so that's what changed kind of my thinking, because, it was right in line with my rich dad, who was my best friend's father in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. But also, Fuller wrote a book called The Grunge of Giants. Mm-hmm. And The Grunge of Giants stands for Gross Universal Cash Ice. And it's how our monetary system is designed to keep us poor, basically to steal our wealth via the money we work for. So Fuller had, a, and I'm glad you started with Bucky Fuller, but he had a tremendous impact upon my life and why I wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because without financial education, this gap between rich and poor will only get wider. If I can just say one more or ask you to say one more word about this, and it was something I picked up from Buckminster Fuller, um, which is something about judging people. You know, this man lectured into his old age, and if you were to look at him, you would think, well, what can he t- teach us? What can he say? How how astute and elect- of a lecturer can he be? And then he starts talking, and your jaw's on the floor. I mean, you just can't help yeah. but be entranced. There's wisdom in that, too, about not judging people and not judging the kind of person you're going to work with or learn from, right? Amen, brother. One of the, one of the generalized principles, a generalized principle, again, is a principle that's true in all cases, no exception. And he always talked about one principle called unity is plural at minimum two. And I I interpret it as all coins have three sides, heads, tails, and the edge. Mm -hmm. And what Fuller was saying, if you want to be intelligent, stand on the edge and look at both sides. Don't judge it. Mm Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, Mr. Kiyosaki, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, he is going to be uh, one of the featured speakers, along with Dennis Prager and Dr. Uh, Radha Gopalan. It will be February 8th, right here at the Gamage Center at the ASU um, at, a- at the ASU campus, 1200 South Forest Avenue in Tempe. It's February 8th. It'll be a tremendous evening. And again, folks, if you're interested in seeing Mr. Prager or Mr. Kiyosaki or Dr. Gopalan, you can go to Ticketmaster and uh, check out the event called Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Robert, it was great talking to you. Keep up the good work. Stay warm in Vancouver, and uh, we'll look yeah. forward to seeing you on February 8th. All right. Well, thank you, and thanks for the plug. My pleasure. It's an honor to be able to do so. Thank you, sir. I am Seth Liebson, and we will be right back. I just love the background of uh, someone like uh, the gentleman we were just talking with, Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, Again, if you uh, want tickets, uh, Ticketmaster uh, is where to go, and the event is Health, 
Wealth and Happiness at ASU at the Gamage Center February 8th. It'll be uh, featuring Dennis Prager, as mentioned, and uh, Dr. Radha Gopalan and uh, Robert Kiyosaki, who we just spoke with. I love businessmen in the angle of business that get so much of their intelligence from others. Uh, someone like Kiyosaki, who um, got it from Buckminster Fuller, just a tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous man of the of the 20th century. Think about everything Dennis Prager brings to bear. You know, he'd be a great, great speaker on the business circuit. He's chosen to do the ethics circuit instead and uh, try and allow um, people who have big businesses, many of whom I know, uh, have their ethics informed by him. But what what a great what a great coupling! Uh, what a great uh, troika! Uh, Gopalan Kiyosaki and Dennis Prager again February eighth at ASU Gamage uh, Health Wealth and Happiness. If you go to Ticketmaster, um, get these broad minded brains. You know what they all have in common? You know these are guys that could have big egos. This is a lesson here. Here's a lesson: these are all gentlemen that could have tremendously large egos. And yet, Bill, you've met Prager and been with him any number of times. Of course, these these this is not a man of ego. This is one of the humblest, easygoing people you will ever meet. And you know where they, where where some of this, some of this shows itself, and how great some of it reveals itself, some of it melds itself, and how great lecturers and teachers they are. You listen to them talk about their teachers. You have to have a degree of humility to be willing to learn from someone else. These are obviously hugely successful people. They love talking about what they learned from their other teachers. There's humility in that. And maybe, maybe, maybe humility is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe. You listen to the great teachers who talk about their teachers. You have to be humble to do that, to be willing to learn. Anyway, Prager, Kiyosaki, and Gopalan, February 8th. Ticketmaster, health, wealth, and happiness. Be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 